Good morning, everyone. Um, well, this morning we're back in First Peter, um, preaching First Peter chapter one verses twenty-two through twenty-five. So, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, um, I I think I just want to give us some context. So, I'm going to read the whole first chapter, um, and then we'll pray. And uh, it started. So let's read First Peter, chapter one, together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who who reside as exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, but believe in Him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and these things which now have been declared to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, As obedient children, not being conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your feudal conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And this is the section we'll be focusing on. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a love of the brothers without hypocrisy, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord, I just uh, ask your help today in preaching, and I pray that uh, you would cause us to see, Lord, open our eyes, to see and to understand and to take these things seriously. Lord, help me to preach uh, your word truthfully and graciously. Uh, Jesus' name, amen. Yes, uh, I, so 
the main point of my sermon really here is, is going to be on love, focusing on love of the brothers. And uh, I just feel like I have to say beforehand, you know, I'm so encouraged by Medina Bible Church in this area in general. Um, it's like First Thessalonians and Paul, uh, when Paul commends them for their love of one another. And he says, you know, you have no need for anyone to teach you about the love of the brothers. They were excelling in that area. And yet he encouraged them to excel still more, excel still more in love. You know, love is the big thing in Christianity. It is the thing we've been called to. It's what Christ did for us, and it's what he commands us to do and to show one another is love. You know, you can, you can, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, literally give away all your possessions and even give up your own body to be burned at the stake. And if you have not love, it's worthless. That's a scary thought. Um, but also a comforting thought if we really have love and we're pursuing love and we know this love. Uh, and I was just was talking to Mish last night. I, I was going to write, you know, this great introduction. And um, I was like, you know, just even in light of this past week, I feel like I can't preach this without like bearing my heart to you for 10 minutes because I am not, I, I have not arrived. And when, as I'm going through these things, I'm like seeing all my shortcomings. And it's like, I'm supposed to get up and preach this. And, and yet I'm so aware of the areas that I fall short. And, um, and yet, you know, I, I really do love, I love Medina Bible Church. I love each one of you. I, the Lord has so worked in our lives. I feel like it's such a, amazing amazing thing to experience and um so the temptation is you know when i preach it for you to maybe think wow he's so he's got everything together you know no i i don't i don't ask michelle she'll tell you <laughs> um but no but i you know i can say in a clear conscience and i want all of us to be able to say in a clear conscience that it's not an excuse not to love because it's not going to be perfect. But the Lord, if you remember our, our the last sermon in First Peter, the Lord shed His blood so that we can love. And there's real power in that. There's real power there for what Christ has done in order to help us love one another and to change those. Every aspect, as we'll see, our feelings, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions. To actually love one another, it's it's glorious that we get to partake in this kind of thing as believers. Um, so, like I said, I really want to strive to stir us up in this area. But you know, let's let's dive into the text here at verse twenty-two and try to just understand what Peter is saying. What are these verses communicating to us? Uh, in verse 22, I you know I wrestled with this. When I first opened up my Bible and I'm like, all right, we're preaching this, I thought I understood it. And then the more I digged in, I kind of realized, wow, I, I changed my mind about this. Um, so let's read 22. Since you have, and this is the Legacy Standard Bible, since you have in obedience to the truth, where am I? Purified your souls for a love of the brothers without hypocrisy. Fervently love one another from the heart. Okay. Since you have, since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. What, what is he saying? What does he mean? And really there's two options. The first option is what I had originally thought, and I'll, I'll share it with you. And there's people, uh, you know, good Christians that, that still hold to this, but I don't think it's the most accurate. But, let me let me explain. So so if we take since you have in obedience to the truth, in obedience to the truth to mean we're responding in obedience to the truth of God's word. We're keeping the commandments of God. We're doing the things that God tells us to do and by doing so we purify our souls as in 
ongoing sanctification, right? And at first it seems like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And I mean, in all fairness, there's support for that idea in other parts of Scripture, right? You, By ongoing sanctification, you become more holy. And there is this purifying sense that happens in your soul when you become more like Jesus Christ. But I don't think, in light of this whole letter and this immediate context, that it's the best interpretation. And so what I, what I do feel is best is the second option. And it seems to be most consistent with everything here is that in obedience to the truth should be taken as responding to the gospel's command and demand of us to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and to repent. So by doing so, our souls have been purified, right? This is in the past tense. Since you have purified your souls. So, when the gospel message comes to us, responding in obedience to that truth is to put my faith and trust in it. And I'm obeying it, right? And there's other parts of Scripture that talk about faith uh, in the gospel as obeying the gospel. And one of those is actually right in 1 Peter in chapter 4. If you look at that real quick in verse 17, he says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And again, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes a very similar thing in, in chapter 1, 7 and 8. I'm paraphrasing this. He says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed, inflicting vengeance on those who do not Obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so we see, we know that those whom suffer the judgment of God, whom are ultimately cast into hell, are those who have not responded in faith to the gospel message, thus obeying it. And their souls are not ultimately purified. And so there is judgment for them. However, it's a different story for us as believers who have indeed responded in faith, who in obedience to the truth, trust Christ, obey its command and its call to trust Him, and our soul is once and for all purified, as in justified. The blood of Christ washes our sin away wholly and completely forever. There will be no answer anymore. No one to accuse us, I should say, anymore before God at the judgment seat. Now, the, the other thing here that really convinced me is verse 23. After he gives the command, he says, For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed. So, for you have been born again is really just reiterating what happens to the person who's in obedience to the gospel, purified their soul, right? So he's saying, since you've purified your soul, love one another for you've been born again, right? So it's like the same thing. He's saying the same thing twice in a different way, but it's the command is so fervently love one another because of these things. And it works really well if we consider this um, from verse 25 back to 22, because this is interesting. You know, he starts with, the command almost, and then gives the reasons for what happened. And he kind of reasons backwards, right? He starts with what he wants us to do and, and then reasons as to why. But if you start at 25 and you reason back, it, it's almost a little bit more clear. And so look at this in verse 25, where he says, and this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. Now, he gives that little passage in Isaiah, but that's to defend his point about that the word of God is a living and enduring word in 23. So this living and enduring word is proclaimed as good news. What's the, what, it, what was the good news? It was the gospel message, right? Of the love of God for you in Christ. So the message of the love of God is proclaimed to these people who are now exiles all over the place. The message comes to them and the Lord quickens them, awakens their heart, to see 
whoa, this is true. And they're born again. And thus, being born again, respond in obedience to that truth. And they believe it. And they trust it. And they turn from their sin. Right? And then the command comes, okay, this message of love was proclaimed to you. Now fervently love one another. Following me? Is making sense here? So, in light of these realities, what we understand is the reason Peter tells us we've purified our soul and have been born again is so that we would love one another without hypocrisy and fervently. Or some of your Bibles might say sincerely and from a pure and clean heart. So, so it can be rightly said that one primary purpose for us being saved is to love each other. It's the, it is a big thing, like I started with, right? This is the thing. We've got to love one another and to love our brothers and sisters primarily, which, yes, includes the whole world and the lost and our spouses, especially if they're believers, right? Um, so I want us to see that um, to, to consider really the characteristics of this love and to spend our time here for a while. Uh, because biblical love, you know, if we're going to consider what love is, love primarily, we have to understand, works itself out in deeds. It works itself out. It's, okay, it's a real thing. Like, it's visible. It's tangible. People can experience the love that you have for them. They feel it. They can see it. It's not just an idea that remains in the mind, right? Like, like we're born again and, and we have faith and, and we respond in obedience and we're purified and then, okay, so it might be in our minds. You know, it's just all in our mind. Okay, yeah, these are great and wonderful things. This is, this is awesome. But the loving one another must be the fruit and the result of this thing that is actually something we can do and see and feel and experience and give and show one another. And it's vitally important to understand it's not merely a feeling we have for each other. It very much so includes what we do for one another. And that's huge. This is big to understand. Now, the primary characteristic I want to consider first as we, as we look at this is, um, you know, okay, according to the scriptures here, right, what, what is Christian love? What are we, how, how are we supposed to know how to love one another? Uh, who gets to decide what love is? I mean, as Mark was praying earlier, do we look to uh, the state of Ohio to tell us, oh, yeah, it's loving to let people abort their babies they they can't even make up a mind who can have a baby let alone tell you you're unloving if you tell them you can't murder your baby in your womb we can't look where are we going to go are we going to rely on that are we rely on our culture to tell us no obviously not we have the word of god and and that's why it's vitally important to know our bibles and to be dependent upon our bibles you know and and to be diligent to conform our personal feelings about what's loving and what's not loving to what the Scripture says. Now, I know we, we're, we're allowed to have certain feelings about what's loving where the Scripture would permit it. You know, you're allowed to, ladies, you're allowed to like flowers from your husband. You know, that's, that's good. Yeah, or you're allowed to hate flowers. Don't Please don't ever get me flowers, right? But... But the heart and soul of what's loving and what's unloving comes from what the scriptures tell us. Okay? Now, the highest expression, or what we may think is the highest expression, is what God said, uh, Jesus said in various places, really, that um, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what to love your neighbor as yourself. 
right? That that all the commandments are summed up in those two commandments. Every last one, love your neighbor as yourself. As regards to brothers and sisters in the church, we are to love one another as we love ourselves. And the golden rules, we are to treat others as you want to be treated, right? But again, it kind of gets dicey if you don't have your Bible to back that up because the world loves that saying too. But they just say, hey, I don't I think it's best for me if I abort my baby. So I want you to be able to abort your baby. This is ridiculous, right? That's not what Jesus intended. That's not what he means. So let me just point out real quick. Love is not about giving people what you need. And let me make that, let me try to give an example. Um, you know, we, we can make people feel, especially with our spouses, unloved really fast. If we are, are always trying to love them the way we need to be loved. And, and that's a, can be a normal thing, a thing that happens. And it happens with brothers and sisters in the church. I mean, we think that, um, you know, hey, I'm a, I love conversation, okay? And if I just want to get everybody always involved in my conversation because, well, that, that's how I love them, well, they may not necessarily need that from me, right? But, but see, that takes getting to know one another intimately and spending time with each other and being intentional and trying to learn, like we learned on Wednesday, about the heart of this person. What do they love? Where is their heart? What makes them feel loved? And it's good and it's right to take that time to figure out, man, how can I best treat my brothers and sisters, my spouse, my children, in a way that would really honor them and make them feel like I care about them. And so when we get to know these things, you know, we, we're obligated in a sense to really do them and to strive after them. And so, so Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but he, he really ups this commandment in John 15, 12. Even the command to love your neighbor as yourself and all the commands being summed up can really be defined by this one. And he says, this is the commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. And that really puts into place the command to love, to treat others as you want to be treated. We are supposed to look at the perfect manifestation of that in the life of Christ, who perfectly loved everyone around him. And the key aspect about Jesus' life of love was sacrifice. Because in the very next verse of John 12, where he says, to love one another just as I have loved you, he says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Again, this is, this is the, the thing about love, if we're going to define the love's the big thing. The big thing about love is sacrifice. It's sacrificial love that imitates the love Christ had for us. So, so not only did Jesus physically lay his life down, he did, and it's glorious, and we'll talk about that. He also laid his life down every day in service to the world. Every day he laid his life down. He was not consumed with himself in the slightest bit. He came to do the will of my... He said, I came to do the will of my Father. Not His own will. And He gave us the example. I mean, you think about the life of Christ and His ministry that we have. He rose up early in the morning before the sun was out and would pray. And then we see in Luke, His disciples are out looking for Him. Like, there's these all these people. And they're coming and where's Jesus? And we want to be healed and we want food and we need all this stuff. And they go out and they find him. And they're like, Jesus, you know, where are you? Don't you know all these people are out here looking for you? And he's not like, don't you see I'm in the middle of a conversation with God? Come on, I'm a little busy. I'll get there when I get there. 
he says, okay, yes, let's go. And pours his whole day out, healing people. I mean, literally think about it. When it says like the the crowds gathered around the house so that there was no more room to fit in. I want you to think about that. People could not even get into these little houses, which were not like our houses. These were small huts almost. And there's people, masses of people, likely thousands of people, just pressing in all around him. The guy couldn't even eat his meal. He couldn't even eat in peace. And yet here he is pouring himself out, touching, healing, praying, serving, giving his life, laying it down. I'm sure he would have liked to play cards or something with his disciples. No, seriously, I mean, he had desires like we have desires. He liked things like we like things. He had to have experienced that if he was a full full human. But what he did was constantly and repeatedly lay it aside for the greater cause of the people who needed him. And he didn't complain about it. And he didn't grumble about it. And he wasn't like, come on, two weeks in a row? Like, can I get a week off? I know, beloved, it's, I just think, man, I'm so bad at that. But, but, you know, we've got to, we've got to think about this, okay? So, so not only now, now Jesus daily laying his life down for his brothers and sisters, for his friends, for those whom he loves. The mark of a life of sacrifice is, is it. That, that, that's where it is, right? And this is the kind of love Peter is calling us to while we live. It's a life of dying to self. Dying to our own interests and dying to our own wants and, and, and actually putting the wants and needs of others above our own wants and needs. To, again, remember, this is a tangible thing. This is real. This happens. It's visible. We can see it and we can experience it and give it to others and receive it from others. It's not just saying, oh, yeah, you know what? I've, not the best at that, uh, but um, just, you know, ah, we'll get to it when we get to it kind of thing. No, this is this has intensity. Remember, Peter is appealing to the reason we're saved is for this kind of love. There's nothing else. There, This is it. What is life about? What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, we can start here. Just die. Die to yourself. And love your brothers and sisters around you. That's a great place to begin. And now, I know we're hearing this. This is hard. This is hard. It's not easy. But it wouldn't be a sacrifice if it was easy. Amen? It's not easy. It's not going to be easy. Don't expect it to ever get easy. And if your life is full of, wow, love, this is just an easy thing. I would probably submit to you that you're not the one laying aside your own desires. People are probably laying aside their own and serving you continually. You're like, this is great. Love, I love this person. It's wonderful. So just think about that. If we have those kinds of relationships where we've got to just be honest and real and recognize some of these things. Love, sacrificial love is hard and it's costly. But there's a wonderful, wonderful promise from Christ who experienced this. I mean, come on, who who hasn't felt hurt? Okay, and Christ hasn't felt it. You know, who hasn't been offended? And Christ doesn't know what that offense is like. He's experienced it all, beloved. He experienced it all and far more than anything we could ever experience. And yet he tells us in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount in verses 46 and 47. Let me read this to us. 
Okay. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? What's his point? When you, if you love when it's easy to love, there's no reward for you. Anybody can do that. Who wouldn't love somebody who loves them back? Who wouldn't want to be nice to the person who's always giving them gifts? And if you're close with your family and you've got a great relationship and man, I just love spending time with them. Look, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that doesn't define true love. You don't really know how much you love a person until it's hard to love them. And that's when the meter starts counting for us and the rewards start getting handed out. When it's difficult, when you're, when you're busy, and they need you for the 60th time. And it's like, come on, right? No, we've got to lay our lives down and, and remember and recognize this is why I've been called. This is why. So that I can love them and serve them and pour my life out for them. And so when someone annoys you or angers you and yet you're patient and you serve them in return and you're not expecting to receive anything back. You don't want a gift back. You don't need a thank you, even though I would like a thank you. And, a, you know, I appreciate that. You don't get appreciated. Listen, God is in the business of pulling these things out of our hearts, especially when we think we're doing really good, right? The trials will come. The difficult people to love will show up. And it's just like one thing after another until the Lord just, just breaks you down and breaks you down and breaks you down because He hates you? No, because He loves you. He's trying to teach you how to be like Jesus. And ultimately, you are storing up more rewards in heaven when you do it, when you love that way. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to lay aside all our our pasts, you know, our history with people, all the ways we, the, the record of offenses we have against somebody. And when we just die to those things and realize, you know, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So what if I'm rejected? So what if I'm despised? So what if I don't get loved from this person all the time? Does that justify me being unloving back? I mean, I know, come on, our, our spouses are like the clearest example of this. If you're married or children with your parents, you may feel like, man, I just get, it's just like command after command after command. Yeah, it's not easy. But this is where true love is tested. And this is where love is refined and where your character is refined and where rewards in heaven get stored up and where you can actually begin to live like Jesus Christ a little bit. You know, all those times that we've prayed, Lord, make us like Christ or make us like your son, make us Christ-like. And then, you know, we forget, the drive through person forgets to catch up with your fries and you're like, oh, you know, come on. You have one job. Put the ketchup in the bag. Okay. Seriously, though. Now, in specific instances like these things, we do need Scripture to, gu to guide us. Okay? And, and when we're dealing with one another, we've got a lot of things going on, especially now. We've got a new building. We're having to work together. Listen, we're going to bother each other and irritate each other. It's part of living together as a family of Christ. It, it, it happens, you know? It's not going to be perfect and rosy all the time. Now, we want to strive to make it easy for people to love us. We're not intentionally difficult. But there's going to be real opportunities to express these things. So let me just look at I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but 
for further definition of, of love, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the great passage on love. What is love? Read at just about every wedding, and you probably know it by heart if you've been to a few weddings, okay? And I alluded to it in the beginning. But start in verse 4. You know, love, love is patient. Just I, Again, I want you to think about this. This only counts when it's hard, when it actually costs you something to be patient. You've got to be patient. It's kind. When others are unkind, and when, you know, you've been sinned against, and this person really doesn't deserve to be treated graciously, you're kind to them. It's not jealous or, or envious. You're, you're not constantly like when others get something that you really want or have something that you value. You're not jealous about it. Your first response isn't, man, I would like to be to have that or do that or participate like that or serve like that or be recognized like that. The first response ought to be, wow, praise the Lord for this brother. I love him for this sister. Thank you for your service. It doesn't brag. It's not puffed up. It doesn't act unbecomingly or inappropriately, right? It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. I want us to look at our lives with our brothers and sisters, with our wives, with our children. And let's get serious, more serious, right? Because I said in the beginning, I, I love how we are. It's great. But let's press on. Let's not be content. Let's not get comfortable. In the midst of getting comfortable is when everything just breaks down. So just don't, let's not be comfortable with our love. Let's continue to press on and challenge ourselves with these things to not hold a record of wrong and to not become conceited or puffed up and to not rejoice in unrighteousness, but to rejoice with the truth. And it's really a great place in 1 Corinthians 13 to just, when you have a question about me and you know what? I need some wisdom here on how to handle this situation and love this person. Just start working through those commands and those definitions and characteristics of love and compare what you're doing to what it says. Or think of how you can do those things in the midst of that given interaction with that brother or sister. And if you're not being honest with yourself, listen, it's not helping anybody. The Lord knows. The Lord is knows you intently, and you can't escape it. Oh my, I'm running out of time already. Okay, um, so let's look at real quick now. So we've got the idea, love, big thing. Love, the big thing about it, sacrificial. And it's sacrificial because Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. And what, First John 13, you know, I counted how many times it talks about love of the brothers. It's like over 13 times, depending on how specific you want to get. That short little book of 1 John, he's got what, like five chapters? It fits on like three pages. 13 times he gives love of the brothers as a sign that we're actually born again. That's serious. I mean, that's something to think about. And to go through those over and over and over, almost three times every every chapter. You know, he's just constantly love the brothers love the brothers love the brothers love the brothers now okay now look at um what this verse says so since you have an obedience to the truth purified souls for a love of the brothers right that's why our souls have been purified but that's not it it's without hypocrisy as the lsb says or uh some of your bibles might say sincerely right Okay, what's, what's a hypocritical love? It's just saying one thing and doing another thing. Or doing one thing and feeling a totally different way. It's just hypocritical. It's not sincere. It's not genuine. Your heart's not really there. And so you, one time you might do the right thing and the next time you might not. And Okay, we got to get rid of all insincerity in our love and strive to be sincere. 
That's what it is to love without hypocrisy. It's to be genuine, to mean it, to really mean our actions when we do them. And it's also then, so, so he tells us that's why love for a love of the brothers without hypocrisy. And then he tells us fervently love one another from the heart. So it's like all these without hypocrisy, fervently love, and from the heart. Now, now hear me. There's a balance here, okay? Love is not only an action. And it's not only a feeling. But it is your, your actions and your feelings. Your feelings very much so decide whether your love is genuine or not. And we're commanded to have a fervent love. You could say a passionate love. Okay, that's a feeling. That's something inside of your own heart that wants fervently, passionately, earnestly wants to love the brothers. It's not enough to just merely do this because it's my duty. And I, I, I want to clarify this a little bit. If it's your wife's birthday and she likes birthday cards, okay, and you just come in the house on her birthday and you're like, happy birthday. I got you a card because I know you like it. Okay. Yeah, you did the right thing, sort of. But the, where's the feeling? She is not going to feel loved, guys. I can assure you. So, so the the feeling, the want, and it's like, what's the, you know, the age old thing with? I don't just want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. Yes, I know. I know. I just don't want to do the dishes, right? But our feelings, beloved, our feelings are commanded to be sincere, to be fervent, and to be from the heart. Okay? So we've got to do something about that to recognize my, I do at some point need to get my feelings involved. Now, if your feelings are not there, it is not, very clear, not an excuse to not strive to still do the right thing and strive to get your feelings there as best as you can. Okay? And, and again, the whole idea of sacrificial love. You're not always going to want to do the dishes. If you did, it wouldn't be much of a sacrifice. And so the Lord will continually bring things about to get your heart in a place that wants to just be obedient, that wants to just love our brothers and sisters sincerely and not be bitter and hold a grudge and all these other things that tend to happen and block our feelings. So the way to start when your feelings aren't there is to still do it and do it with sincerity, striving to get your feelings there. That often, again, is the test of whether you're really in it for Christ's sake or you're in it because you, it's kind of just comfortable. It's easy for me. You know? This is easy. I, I'm in it for me, ultimately. I love my husband. I love my spouse. I love my kids. They love me. I benefit so much from this relationship. It's going to get hard at some point. And then the true test of how your love for your children and your spouse and our, each other in Medina Bible Church really begins to come out. Now, how do we change our feelings? If our feelings are commanded and we don't feel it, I do want to talk for a second about how do we get our feelings to the right place? Okay, I talked about still got to do it. Right? And that, that's very true. But the command here for the love with the feelings is rooted in being born again. 
being born again. Love one another. Fervently love one another. Look at it. Verse 22. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again. So something about being born again will allow you to fervently love and to sincerely love from the heart. Okay, now, now let me just talk about this too real quick. You know, I remember one time we discussed it on Wednesday. I don't remember how it got brought up, but, but can an unbeliever truly love? And because this Christ-like love is rooted in, in being born again, this is a, a good question to think through. Can unbelievers truly love? And I would just say this. It depends on how we define truly, right, in, in this love. Is the unbeliever's love ultimately accepted by God as good and pleasing on Judgment Day? No. No. Uh, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And their love, as wonderful of a deed that they might do, at Judgment Day, I mean, it's like the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. It's worthless. It's, it's a filthy rag before God. So if you don't know God and you're striving to just love and do the right thing and yeah, that sounds great, brother, you know, I want to get better, but but you don't know the Lord as your Savior, it's going to be worthless. The endeavor is useless. It's not going to work. It doesn't mean anything to God. However, however, unbelievers can do some amazingly incredible acts of love and dying to self and service to people that the Bible would commend. I mean, look at the Marines. You know, those guys are serious. And I talked to Jeremy about this. You know, they lay their lives down daily for people they don't even know, for you and I, for freedom, for America. Which, listen, I don't mean that lightly. I, I commend that big time. And we need people like that that are willing to fight and die for our country and, and to protect us, okay? But just look at, look at what their motive is, okay? And look at what kind of motives we've been given as believers in Christ. I just, I just watched a, a YouTube video popped up the other day. It was almost like it knew that I was talking about this, like listens to me. Uh, a guy posts a YouTube video building a hundred wells in Africa. Wow. I mean, that has never even entered my mind to go to Africa to build a well for thirsty kids. And it was just village after village after village. And this guy is building well after well and the videos of excitement and joy of these people. And it's, it's wonderful. I'm like, wow, that's great. And he's like, all we ask is you like, comment, and subscribe. Listen, whatever it is, the motivation for a like and a subscriber on YouTube caused this guy to go to Africa and build wells for a hundred communities. I mean, what a rebuke to the church. Just think about it. We as the people of God have His love shed abroad in our hearts, supposedly. And we have the keys of life to anyone who would listen. And this guy wants a like on his YouTube video. It's a shame. Come on, it's a shame. It's like Jesus commending the uh, unrighteous uh, account manager in Luke, what, 16 or 18 or somewhere over there? That he was being shrewd, more shrewd than the sons of light. We have glorious promises from God to be able to do wonderful things with great motivations, to lay down our lives. And we're just comfortable. You know, I like my couch. I like my TV shows. I like eating good food. You know, I got to have my coffee in the morning. Okay. So, again, what, what are we willing to do? How are we willing to sacrifice in light of Christ's life for us, and in light of the fact that the reason any of us gather here to worship the Lord is to love each other. 
So we ought to strive. We ought to strive to love without grumbling, with thankfulness in our hearts that the Lord has actually given us such a privilege. Such a privilege. So, can an unbeliever truly love? Well, yes and no, I guess, right? Depending on how you take what I just said. It's not acceptable to God, but there can be wonderful things that they do. And, and we ought to just learn from that and say, as people who have, love, who have our love accepted by God, what, how, what kind of lives ought we to live in, in terms of love for each other? You know, we have brothers and sisters in Israel, in Palestine, as we speak, in untold sufferings. In untold suffering. And they are as much your brothers and sisters as any one of us are. And what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? We're just going to stay in our comfortable building and be comfortable and get our water bottles and eat our lunch together after service. And these people are here dying. Again, it's okay that we do that. It's a wonderful thing that we have this building. And I don't want to despise it, and I never want you to despise it. But just think, just think for a second. The kinds of help our brothers and sisters need all over the place. How are we going to meet those needs? So, if we want to get our feelings there, I guess back to the point of how we get our feelings there, you know, first we have to understand what does it mean to be born again. And I just want to go over this real quick. The first thing about being born again is it's a supernatural work of God. It is 100% the work of God. You will not coerce God to make you to be born again. And as much... Uh, what do you say? As much as you had to do with your first birth is as much as you have to do with your second birth. No one has chosen to be born the first time. You don't choose to get born the second time. Okay? God, it's not something you can work up. It's solely an act of God. It's not, as John 1 tells us, the will of the flesh or by will of the man, but by the will of God. And the second thing is the term born again is just picture language. It's a, a metaphor using the reality of being born to describe a spiritual, invisible reality that happens, truly happens to people. It's a real thing that happens, but it's just an invisible and a spiritual thing. And it, it bears itself in visible ways, which is my third point. But the person you were prior to receiving this new birth is a wholly different person. An entirely new creation altogether. And this invisible reality that being born again is trying to picture is the Holy Spirit being granted to you, person, to live inside of you and to be the control center for all that you do. It's, a, it's also described as a new heart. Where the old heart of stone, as Ezekiel describes it, is removed. And a new heart which responds to God and has new affections for God, or is a heart of flesh, again as Ezekiel describes it, is given to us. And it really is a new creation. Truly, even though you can't see it with your eyes happen, the moment a person puts their faith into Jesus Christ is the moment they're born again. You can't divide the two. I don't think you can divide the two and say, well, which happens first? It all happens together. God awakens your soul, you're born again, and you believe in Jesus. And you don't only believe in Him, you love Him. You love Him, as Peter tells us just a few verses ago. Though you've never seen Him, you love Him. Why? Is it because you're so holy and righteous? No. Is because God Himself has worked a love for the beautiful reality of Christ dying for you in your own heart to recognize this is true. This is for me. He died for me. My sins are gone and I love Him. 
And the last thing, thank you, sis. And the last thing is the spirit living inside of you really does produce real change. Okay, it's visible, real change. So in one sense, you can't see the Holy Spirit come inside of you like a tongue of fire or something like that. But you can see its effects. Okay, and its effects to change your will, your desires, your loves, your wants, your words, your actions, and your feelings. Right? And your feelings. Being born again and receiving the Holy Spirit upon faith and conversion changes your feelings. And if we are going to avail ourselves, now, let me just say, not perfectly, right? Not all at once, right at the beginning, and not perfectly. We know that to be true. We still have remaining corruption, no matter how old you are and how long you've been a believer in Jesus. You have some flesh, as Romans calls it, still living inside of you that fights against you and, and wants you to sin and wants you to obey its passions. But as the regenerate, born-again person with the Holy Spirit living inside of you have every ability to fight that thing and overcome it, and to really be transformed and changed in who you are and in the feelings that you have in the kind of love that you show. So Peter is appealing to the Holy Spirit inside of us, saying, love one another from the heart, from that new heart. Not that old one, with all its bitterness and jealousy and anger and frustrations. But the new one, from the heart. For you have been born again. So practically, I want us to just consider Okay, you recognize, oh man, hard situation comes up. You just think about the past week, a hard situation and that has come up for you to love, and you say, man, my feelings are not there. I know I should do the right thing. What? Okay, what do I do, Hakum? How do I change my feelings? Well, pray. The first thing I would suggest is pray. Confess your, your lackluster feelings to God as sin. Lord, this is, I'm feeling sinful feelings. I'm frustrated. I feel unjustified. I feel like I've been whatever you've been feeling like. And just confess it to the Lord. Lord, I'm struggling. I know I shouldn't feel this way. I know I still have to love. Help me. Right? Ask the Lord to give you those new affections for that person that you currently don't have affections for at the moment. And the next thing you got to do is believe God, right? Because the one who asks with doubting should not expect that he will receive anything. So we've got to believe God, that he alone has the power to change us, to help us to be more loving towards our brothers and sisters, and to help us get our feelings in the right place, and to have a good balance here, right? Again, recognize it's not all about feelings, not all about actions. They're married together beautifully. And we believe the Lord. We trust His Word. This could be like uh, the second thing you do, part B. Okay, You trust His Word. You find a scripture relating to your certain situation, and you trust it, and you meditate on it until you're able to see the glorious reality that it is yours, and it transforms you that way. So you're feeling bitter, um, with somebody in church who has offended you a time and time again. And um, it's hard for you to love this person. And an opportunity comes up where you, it happens again. And you feel like, okay, so you pray, you confess it to the Lord. You believe that the Lord can change you and will change you. And then you go to somewhere like Hebrews 12 and 15. Let no root of bitterness spring up, and by it many become defiled. Okay, Lord, if I let this root of bitterness dwell and spring up and I don't just pluck it out right away, it will defile me. I, Lord, I don't want that. 
So I trust you. And then you do. You act. Third thing you do, you just do what you know you're supposed to do. The feelings might not all the way be there yet, but I assure you, if you implement some form of this kind of thing, your feelings will be there and they will change and you will be able to demonstrate exactly this kind of love without hypocrisy. It's fervent and it's from the heart for your brothers and sisters. If you delight yourself in the Lord, think about it. He will give you the desires of your heart. Again, delight yourself in the Lord. I mean, delighting really, what is that? But if you are willing to do it, the Lord will give you delight in himself. And if we draw near unto God, we know he draws near unto us. Okay. Last thing I want to encourage us with. Uh, Verse 23, 24 there. For you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We need to be thinking about this in light of eternity. And here the word is this incorruptible seed. Okay? And and the proof text that Peter gives us, if you will, this divine proof text for a living, enduring word of God that never fades, never perishes, it's not going anywhere, it's always true, and it's always there for us, is this text from Isaiah 40. And I just want us to think about its context. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers. Okay, this is talking about our, our mortal bodies. They're perishing. And in contrast to that, the word of the Lord does not perish. And we need to think about our love for the brothers in light of eternity. Again, this life is just a vapor. It's fast. I blinked and I'm 30. And I know I'm still young, but like, what happened? I got, you know, little kids that are growing up. And and when I get to judgment, I mean, I, I really believe we won't get good into the gates of heaven and we'll be weeping. Why? We should have loved more. Oh, it was. I should have sacrificed more of my life. You know, I I really, I should have done better. I should have laid aside my silly comfortabilities and these things that just took up all my time. I should have put all those aside and not gotten so frustrated. Because eternity is before you. You can't fix your love for the brothers once you get there. There's no going back. There's no rewind. There's no redo. You're not going to be able to fix your life up and, and get more treasure in heaven and and that's it once eternity is upon us it it's there it's not going anywhere and we can't do anything about it now it's a glorious reality that believers in jesus get heaven in general i mean it's incredible but again think about it in light of our love for the brothers how ought we to love one another then how ought we to be patient with our spouses and our children how ought we be to kind and to, to just stop caring about how people make me feel and, you know, this hurts me and my feelings and this is so hard for me kind of attitudes. Just kill it and say, you know what? My brothers and sisters are hurting and suffering and I see it. And you know what? I'm going through a lot too. Let's minister to one another in love. And there's no better place to start than at home. There really isn't. If you're not able to, to do it, I've, I've mentioned this before, if we can't do it at home, we're not going to be able to do it with one another. And if we do, it's just hypocritical. So, so let's think about eternity. Let's think about the judgment of God laying our lives out before us. It's never too late. 
But this is the kind of love, again, that we're called to from Scripture. We have been purified by Christ to love one another. So let's do it. Amen? All right, well, let's pray. Lord, um, help us, Father, help us. May we never boast in our own abilities. May we never take pride in the way that we can love. And may you humble us. And may you just keep us dependent on, the, on grace to continue to fight day after day to love one another. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.